Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new podcast. That is a collaboration with Season Magazine and the WIUX College Radio Station. I'm Swarna, I'm a sophomore, and I am the editorial director at Season Magazine. I'm Ren, I was the previous editorial director at Season Magazine, and I am a senior. And today we have a very special guest, our very own editor-in-chief of Season Magazine, Erin. Hey, I'm Erin Houston. I'm the editor-in-chief of Season, um, and I'm a senior at IU. Thanks for having me on the pod, guys. No problem. We are very honored to have you. And without you, none of this would be possible, quite literally, since you were the editor in chief. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Rin, would you like to um, introduce us to what this podcast is about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, our idea started when Swarna and I were kind of discussing about where we wanted the direction for this semester's editorial to go and we got to talking about how there are so many important conversations that happen on like the fringes of talking about the intersection of fashion and culture but we didn't think that there was you know like enough of a unifying conversation and so our idea was that you know we would start our own right and um part of this podcast is to um, just diversify our thought when it comes to fashion. When people speak of fashion and um, editorial fashion and just, you know, how fashion publications work, people think of it in a very superficial sense and people think of the fashion industry in a very superficial sense as well. And through this podcast, we want to just reveal um, the depths of you know, what fashion is and what fashion can be to many people and what it means to a lot of people through different scopes and um, different attitudes. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that a lot of our discussions that we've had have been that, you know, at the end of the day, fashion is a form of self-expression. And, you know, what is more important to fashion than the people wearing it and the people consuming it and watching it and talking about it? And so that's why we had Erin come on today, because uh, we wanted to talk to Erin about what fashion means to her in particular. And so, yeah, so Erin will basically be talking about you know, how she got involved in season and um, what role fashion played in her life and, you know, how she decided to major in what she's majoring in college. You're an apparel merchandising major, correct? Yes. And um, she will also be talking about, and I guess we'll all be talking about this collectively, um, as to why college fashion magazines are important to have on a college campus. So that will be a um, topic of discussion that we will also be touching upon. So yeah, um, let's start getting into some of these questions. So for sure. Yeah. So what do you feel um, the goal of season was when um, it first established itself on IU's campus? So I was not on the first issue of season. When were you? Yeah, I was actually there when it was found. Um, a very good friend of mine was one of the three original members. So I can't speak to exactly what the goal was at first, but I know that um, Sharon, who founded the magazine, had interned 
for a fashion magazine in New York. And so she kind of was able to observe some of the, just like the production timelines and all the different departments that go into making a magazine, which, you know, aren't necessarily apparent to you on a surface level. Like you might not think about the fact that you need like an IT person if you're going to do something for the web or that you need like even just like business or finance people. It's just not, you know, if you're just a fashion or like media person, it might not be the first thing that comes to your mind. Mm -hmm. So I think that she kind of learned about some of that and then came back and she was like, you know what? Other colleges have fashion magazines. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can speak to that more at all because you were there. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, I felt like it was years ago, but it was literally only like a few. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, um, I know a big thing back then too was just, there's so much focus, I think, on like Hope Tour and like Runway. And right. Such like, you know, at times it can seem intimidating. And, you know, I don't like to use the word pretentious when it comes to people's interests, but there's, you know, to a certain degree, it just seems unapproachable. Um, and, you know, we were all young adults, barely, I mean, I was, I don't even know if I was 18 or 19, but like freshly an adult. And so, you know, I'd always had an interest in fashion, but it was a way to kind of open it up to people who didn't think that they would ever have an opportunity to work in, in that line of work. And um, what I really liked about the approach was that the accessibility of it all. Yeah. Well, because I remember the way that I found out about season, like the way that it even popped up on my right on my radar was um, I had a class freshman year with Robert Adams, and he was like one probably the only cool person in that class, and I followed him on Instagram, <laughs> and then I just remember when season came out, he'd been a stylist on that issue, and he was posting about it, and I was like oh my God, no way. I had no idea that we had a fashion magazine. That is so cool. And so I DM'd him about it and he was like, yeah, this is season. And I knew that I had to be a part of it. I think it came out in the spring. It was like yeah. the end of the 2018 spring semester. So that was when I was a freshman. And then when we came back, I remember during the summer, I like DM'd season's Instagram and was like, how can I, like, what can I do? I'll do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I remember when I first joined season, I, I'm currently a journalism major, but when I first came to IU, I didn't even know that I wanted to write for a living. I was actually um, a law and public policy major, which is something that pre-law kids go into when they're at IU. So I was just like, I want to, you know, I've always kind of wanted to write, but I know that I don't really know if I want to do it for a living. So might as well just, you know, do it while I'm in college. And honestly, um, my experience working at working at season and being a part of season inspired me to, you know, segue into journalism and change my major to journalism because the work that we do, the, the amount of collaboration that goes into producing an issue, um, teamwork, the effort, um, just everything that is involved with creating a publication is something that is quite amazing. And, you know, it, it, it really is something to experience. And yeah, so that's just a vivid memory that I have just going I, you know what, whatever, I want to do this. That's interesting that you say that because I think one of the like biggest and like brightest memories that I have of season is that the conversation that we had before you had changed your major right. and it was during, um, it was during one of our, we host little parties, um, in the media school once we put out an issue and it was during one of those meetings that, um, Swarn and I got to talking, we were talking about her major and, you know, all of the writers that she liked. And we had like a very lengthy topic um, where we started talking about, you were the first person who like got me to read Joan Didion. And like now she's one of my favorite authors. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, and I just remember then thinking too, like I, I had struggled with my major too before then. Um, I kept resisting being a writer, even though like I always knew that that was my thing. And, um, it, and that conversation just made me realize that like, oh, I'm really in the right field. And 
and not only like is this fulfilling in that I know that I'm good at it, it's fulfilling in that I can make personal connections with people that, you know, it's not just, oh, I'm good at my work, so work is fulfilling. Like I can go and do a good job and it's fine. It's, you know, I know now that when I have uh, an adult job or whatever, <laughs> that I can make personal connections with people and have inspiring conversations in work that are important to me outside of work. Right. And that just like segues into like something that we wanted to talk about next, which was like, what have we learned from our experiences in season? I, well, you know, like I said before, I I just learned about how much work this actually takes. I mean, I've always been a fan of fashion magazines, but, you know, I guess like as somebody who was sort of like, you know, I was a pre-law kid before. I was a little snotty and snooty about, (laughs) you know, fashion magazines. I was like, I like reading them, but, you know, what actually goes into producing Cosmo or producing Vogue? And I mean, if, you know, producing a college fashion magazine takes this much out of people and it's 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 an amazing experience, as I said, but it's a lot of a lot of work. Um, you know, imagine something like a publication at that scale. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's insane. Um, There is a ton of work that goes into making a magazine and so many different people are involved. And like, I think we have around 80 members in season um, currently, but it truly does take a village. Um, It's definitely not something, I mean, of course you could make, you could always make like a little zine or something on a smaller scale, but if, if you want to make a magazine, it does truly take so many people. Yeah, I think that was one thing that, like, really interested me about it. I mean, I had just had, like, before, outside of a class, I didn't do a lot of, like, group work. I've been a server since I was 15, and so, like, it's very independent, and I go to work, and I rely on myself, and I come home and I rely on myself again. And like, that that's great. Like being independent is great. Doing work by yourself is great. But like, I think really being part of a collective is like, it teaches you so, just so much about yourself as well. Um, but also about like what it takes to be in a community. Um, and I feel like this was probably my first introduction to a community where we all had a common goal. Um, and so, I don't know. It was it was just really interesting. Erin, um, do you want to talk about kind of the process that we go through um, in terms of like like finding out the theme or like coming up with the um, articles for the issue or anything like that? Sure. So we start at the beginning of every issue, meeting with the entire organization, and we just kind of go over. Um, I'll, I'll present some trends in fashion that we've been seeing, if we've been seeing trends in fashion. Um, and I'll, I'll usually come with a few maybe ideas in my head of sort of themes and ideas that I would like to see visited. And then, so we just kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll have some discussion, people will pitch some ideas, and then we break off. Um, into groups within our own departments, kind of discuss our ideas further, and then we just hash it out until something seems like this is an idea that we can all sort of get behind and we all sort of feel this, um, and we can work with that to make an entire magazine, both photo shoots and written pieces out of it, and stay true to this theme and this idea. Um, And so, yeah, from there... Sorry, did you want me to go through the whole magazine creation process or just the just the theme coming up with? I think it would be I think it would be good to do like just a teaser of our process. Okay. If they really want to find out, they can just come join us. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, from there we tend to work more individually as departments, but then we meet up um, of course between like the visual creatives and uh, the writers will meet up to make sure that our articles and our photo shoots are matching, but photo shoots get planned, articles get written, photo shoot 
photo shoot week or multiple weeks occur, then it goes to layout, creative design. The magazine is made. It comes out chef's kiss. Yeah. I mean, and that obviously, like as Rin said, that was just a teaser. But yeah, it's it's a pretty exciting, exciting process. Do you do you want to, Erin, uh, do you want to give us a little teaser on our upcoming season issue? Oh, what can I say that won't give it away? I feel like I every every time somebody asks me, I just tell them it's under wraps. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm excited about the theme. Do we want to talk about maybe some like visuals that inspired us? Because I think that wouldn't give it away. But just enough to like, what are some trends that really like interested you that found their way into one of the shoots? Um, I definitely think that fantasy as an overarching just kind of idea to play with was something that I was really excited about that we got to sort of make into a reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I think I was the most excited about those shoots. Um, I've always been into kind of the like ethereal like a little bit strange avenues of fashion like I love incorporating like little details that not everybody sees on a day-to-day basis so like I'm really excited for that shoot for sure yeah and there were a lot of things with these shoots as well that were always sort of just um just things that I had wanted to do with season Mm -hmm. for a long time and it just never really panned out to shoot here at this specific location or get clothing on loan from this particular business. Um, And so I got to do a lot. I got to reach a lot of milestones with this issue, my last issue that I've been trying to reach my whole time with season. So that was really exciting too. Yeah. And Swarna, I feel like you would have just a little bit of a better um, conception of like, I know it sounds like, I'm sure to our uh, listeners, it would sound like fantasy would be kind of hard to incorporate into our editorial. So do you want to give us a sneak peek of? Yeah. So basically when you're coming up, well, when the editorial team is coming up with like magazine article ideas that go hand in hand with the photo shoots, we, we just think to ourselves, okay, how does this concept relate to the human experience? Like, there's a reason why we are attracted to this concept in the first place, and it's not just because it looks pretty. It makes us feel something. And so as a writer, I what I did when I wrote for the magazine in the past was I was just like, okay, just put that into words. How does this make me feel and why does that feeling, why would that feeling, um, why would that feeling be important to share with our readers? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that people can kind of view journalism, especially when they first just get started with season, they're, they don't really know what to write because journalism at times can feel a little bit stuffy. And it's like, how do you write about art subjectively? Because fashion is, I mean, at the end of the day, it's another form of art. We just wear it. And so, um, you know, how do you write about that objectively? Because journalism is, it tends to be kind of an objective thing. Yeah, writing, yeah. But, you know, we've definitely made, especially I think in like the last year, um, it has been really important to us to like make our pieces more evocative and um, relatable instead of, you know, so-and-so fashion house walked down the runway today. Here's a lineup of the um, looks that we saw. It's it's like, why is that particular line important to us? What does it say about our culture right now? What is it doing to make us think or make us feel? And so, and I think that you've been so fantastic about that as a director too, like getting your writers to think about like, what, is, what does this mean for us as a whole? Because, you know, as you said, you were just saying probably better than I could put, that it's not just about how it looks, but, how, like, what does it say about us? So, 
Yeah. And that just goes into like the importance of college fashion magazines in general. And um, Aaron can probably attest to this in like the largest sense since she has like a bird's eye view of the whole process since she's the editor in chief. But I mean, college magazines, just like I guess, you know, the Indiana Daily Student or the WIUX or any school publication is a learning lab. Um, everybody on here is here to learn about what would other otherwise be a real life process. So I think it's just great for, you know, young writers at IU to experiment with their um, creative processes and experiment with what they have to say about fashion and how that could go hand in hand with their writing and how they write and how they can incorporate their creative thoughts while they're writing and like have that sort of collaboration with actual photographers and with actual layout designers and stuff like that. No, exactly. And we try to um, facilitate communications between the visual creatives and the writers so that everyone can sort of be on board for as to like, what what is this article? What is this photo shoot? What is the spread conveying that is a feeling or an idea that isn't just does this look good or not? And, you know, even the inspiration that we start with for our photo shoots, of course, we talk about trend and visual aesthetics, but it's always playing off of some sort of larger human concept that we're trying to convey as well. Um, yeah, and that process too, I feel like that was all the more important in the past year because of, you know, the pandemic and everything. And I feel like a lot of people in general have just been more introspective. So it's really interesting to see that process like really just bloom under the past year. And of course, like, even though it's kind of a serendipitous side effect, like, of course, it's still like, it's a rough time for everybody. But I think that through the the kind of trials of being stuck at home and not being inspired has weirdly been kind of a, a growing point for season. I think so as well. I think that, um, well, I think for one, I think season helped, you know, sort of bridge communications between people who were otherwise keeping their own creative thoughts to themselves and yeah, very, in a very isolated way. I received, I remember I received a message um, after our issue from last semester came out from a freshman member and she just told me about how season was the entire highlight of her semester and she mm -hmm. was so glad to have had this creative outlet at this time when there's nothing else really and I mean I can't even imagine being a freshman in college right yeah. now I mean the, yeah. the isolation because really I mean the reason I personally even chose to go to college was like, I could do, I could be a writer on my own. I fully could do that. And, and most people can, but I think that the most important thing about going to college to me was about the personal and professional connections that I would make in that environment. Mm -hmm. And so of course, when that process is stilted, it's like, I mean, the first, if you're a freshman, I mean, that first year of college, you're missing like an integral part of the experience. And so, you know, it's great to see that season has been able to, like, stick with the times. You know, we've been able to, like, Swarna created a pitch doc for um, season in the editorial department, which we didn't have before. We mostly relied on just verbal communication. And, like, that kind of adaptation is really needed in a creative process. You know, I mean, things are going to change in the world all the time for in multiple different reasons. Um, but, of course, this, this was... You know, nobody could have guessed that this would have happened or that it would have taken a year. You know, things still aren't fully back to normal and they won't be for a long time. And I think it just, I think that people are so good at adapting because this is important to them. Um, and, you know, creative outlets in general, even if you're not a college student, just it's We've been talking like over and over again about the human experience. So I'm, I'm going to say it one more time and then I'll try not to again. But I think the creativity is just so important to the human experience. And um, to see it 
you know, thrive in this kind of environment is such a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I could low key tell that my team hates the pitch doc, but at the end of the day, <laughs> because they're, they're just like, can we just send you the article? Like, why do we have to like take the link, and put it in the pitch? Doc? Why do we have to put this link in the pitch doc and always go to this pitch doc all the time? And I'm like, cause that is the grand central station of seasons, articles and yeah. content. That is see... where you go. Yeah. <laughs> I can see how at first it can seem kind of like, bureaucratic like that you have to like go through all these different avenues but I feel like I mean there's a lot of people I feel like in editorial writers are always kind of shy types or not always I mean obviously I'm not <laughs> but, but um most writers are like kind of shy types and I think that like you know especially when you're like a freshman or a sophomore like trying to to come up with these ideas and and verbalize them can be and it can be incredibly intimidating. Like I, I understand that. I think when I was, you know, a sophomore um, and I was just a writer before I was ever a director, I was still intimidated to put my thoughts out there, especially, you know, before we weren't even telling the director one on one our ideas. We were talking to the entire group, um, and so um, and I think it's those things. Like we didn't even know that needed to change. Um, you know, we didn't know that there were people who didn't feel as comfortable speaking in like a group setting that way. Um, so like, it's great that we have been able to adapt that way. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, we should get to talking more about Erin. Yeah. <laughs> and who she is as an individual, oh, the man. amazing, the amazing individual that she is. Oh, <laughs> you're um, too kind. So what kind of led you to becoming editor-in-chief of Season? You know, I've been thinking about this recently because I've been applying for jobs for post-graduation. So I've been thinking about myself in a gross way, you know, like <laughs> how, can I, how can I toot my own horn in the best way possible? But <laughs> I... I think that what I did, so when I first joined season at the beginning of my sophomore year, I was technically a junior merchandiser, which also at that time we had merchandisers and stylists and the role was basically merged into one because we ended up doing the exact same things as each other. Mm -hmm. But um, I remember when I first showed up, like feeling honestly intimidated and um, scared to put my ideas out there at first, but then I don't know. I think that I just immediately was like so drawn to what was being created and the community that I just threw myself at it. And I remember um, one of the first things I did without anyone asking me to do is I just went to every single boutique in Bloomington and like tried to square up a deal with so that we could borrow their clothes. And so I had like a list of these boutiques that we could borrow clothing from mm -hmm. for shoots. And even that just like changed the way that we did photo shoots for the rest of season magazine. So I don't know. I think I just showed up and did what I had to do. And then I ended up being the editor in chief somehow, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's basically what happened. Yeah. I remember, I mean, so before you were director, um, I remember I, I wasn't a director, uh, sorry, before you were editor in chief, I wasn't a director yet. Um, but because my, my roommate, my best friend was, um, I got more of like the inside scoop. And I remember them like, just like all talking about how innovative that was. And it's really like, it's just a testament to like, it doesn't matter like what your position in season is, like you make an impact. Um, Right. Like without, without like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I don't really think that we, that, you know, any member of season should be valued by, I guess, the quote unquote totem pole that they are in because without one designer, that jacket would not be on that model without, exactly. you know, without that one editorial writer, that's, you know, three articles missing in exactly. one month that could have been up there on that website, you yeah. know? So no matter, you know, whether you're a director, whether you're a writer, whether you're a stylist, photographer, without that individual, something is not done mm -hmm. and something is missing. Yeah. 
Completely agree. And like I said, it, it like it really does take a village. Yeah. And when you were younger, I'm sure like you started forming these opinions about fashion and like how they impacted you as a person or how they impacted you in your community. Um, do you have any like personal anecdotes about like growing up and like how like what kind of role fashion played in your life? Yeah, definitely. I can't pinpoint exactly how I got into fashion. I thought about it a lot. Um, I know when I was really young, I used to, (laughs) it's like, this sounds like such a, it was really such a consumerist approach to fashion, but really what isn't. But I just like always wanted to go to the mall. Like I just Mm -hmm. loved going to the mall and my mom did not like going to the mall. My parents are both really not into fashion. And so I think it was almost like a, like a rebellion thing, not a rebellion thing, but it was sort of like, well, my parents aren't into this, so I'm going to be into it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Exactly. Like it was a form of self-expression for you. Exactly. It wasn't something that you had approached earlier or like been naturally like drawn to because of your environment. It was something that like interested you because it was, it was unique to you. Yeah. And it was always... You're actually, yeah, you're completely right. It was always sort of a self-expression kind of thing. I remember things that would, like, galvanize me into wanting to be more into fashion were, like, if I wore an outfit that was just cute and not necessarily dressed up, but it was just somewhat well put together and people I knew, this is in, like, middle school and high school, of course, but they would be, like, why are you so dressed up? Like it was an insult. And I was, I was just like, okay, I'm doing something right. (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally understand. I had the same, I was honestly like fashion was totally a form of rebellion for me growing up. So Mm -hmm. like, I totally understand what you're saying. You know, I used to wear like combat boots in high school and like, mind you, I was like, I was a part of like a homeschool co-op and everyone was a Christian and so, like, this little punk kid coming up and, like, you know, wearing their little combats and their spiked, like, shoulder pads. It was, like, it was definitely, it caused a scene. And I think that, like, it's so funny that kind of people see fashion a lot of the times as, like, shallow and vain. But it's it's not. I mean, there's so much to it than that. I mean, even you just, like, speaking on, you know, just, like, a, a moment in your childhood, I think like illuminates why like this form of self-expression is so powerful is because it it gets the people talking (laughs) oh definitely and you know you can have even larger discussions about what dress has represented in so many different major moments Mm -hmm. in history and in politics and in all sorts of things um yeah I think that there really is so much more that goes into self-presentation and dress than just vanity Mm -hmm. for sure absolutely what's the first experience you remember having with fashion with just you know clothes what was what was your aha moment per se that's funny you should ask that I think honestly I think it was when I was in fifth grade, I remember exactly what I was wearing too. It was like, it was like a short sleeve white t-shirt and then over it, a pink and white striped, like baby doll tank top kind of thing. Very 2000. Yeah. And, and I think, I think just probably like some light wash jeans Mm -hmm. or something. And I remember I had a my fifth grade teacher was pretty young. She was in her mid twenties. Mm-hmm. And I remember she was just like, Aaron, I think that's my favorite thing that you've ever worn. And I was just <laughs> like, wow, Miss Richard, just, she's cool. And she just told me that like, and so I don't, I don't know why, but that memory just really sticks out to me in particular of just being like, I really like the way that I'm dressed right now. And my teacher just told me that she does too. Yeah. It's like a sense of validation in a way. Like, you earn superlatives from the way that you look, really. And so, like, when it validates something that you know to be true about yourself, I'm sure that feels fantastic. I mean, especially to, like, a fifth grader. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Because, like, your entire world in fifth grade is, like, what do people think about me? (laughs) So. 
Yeah. And I loved, I was good at school in fifth grade and I loved my teacher and I wanted all my teachers to love me. <laughs> I get that. I was such like a teacher's pet at that age. Yeah. The most interesting experience I've had with like wearing clothing to school is um, for some reason, and this isn't very common among immigrant children, but I was very, very proud of the way of, of like Indian couture and Indian style clothing. So I remember in third grade, I told my mom I wanted for Halloween, I wanted to be um, an Indian princess and I wanted to wear a sari. They back, I don't know if they still do this, but back then in India, they would make saris, especially for children because saris aren't supposed to be a thing for children. So they'd make them especially for children in these special specialty like kind of shops. So my mom was like, okay, so that summer she went to India. She specifically bought one for me and uh, Halloween came around. And um, I remember everyone was like dressed up already. And I was in the bathroom for 20 minutes trying to like put the sari on. It was impossible, <laughs> but I was so proud. I was like, look guys, like I'm different. For some reason I was like, you know, just, I was one of the only minority kids in that school or in that class, at least from what I remember. So I was just like, look at this. Are you curious about what this is? <laughs> this is a sorry. And um, yeah, and I remember in like about in about like 25 minutes, the whole thing just unraveled because obviously a third grader trying to wrap this cloth oh, no, around. No. no, I was wearing jeans underneath. underneath. So okay. <laughs> jeans and a tank top underneath. So it was okay. But I, I just kept falling apart and falling apart. And by the time the Halloween party or whatever it was at elementary school, by the time that ended, um, it was just like this mangled mess, of just <laughs> like cloth. But I was still so proud of it. And that was, that's my fondest memory I think I have with fashion. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that kind of attitude that I have towards um, ethnic clothing and mm -hmm. ethnic culture um, stuck with me. I remember in one, there's this, uh, the Opulence edition of Season, um, we had this edition called Opulence um, Issue. Sorry, I shouldn't say edition, Issue. Um, and we titled it Opulence, and that was, that issue was released spring of 2020. Yes, it was our last um, issue pre-pandemic. Yes. That's right. And um, I brought this idea up to Rin, actually. I was just like, hey, can we, um, can we, like, do, like, something on ethnic clothing? And, sh and they were just like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And we came up with the whole concept for it. Well, no, I mean, photography and the rest of the season team came up with like the whole visual aspect of it. But on the editorial side, I remember writing that article for that photo shoot and just remember, I just remember being so proud of it. Like that, that's mm -hmm. every time I apply to an internship, I swear to God, I, I submit that piece of writing. Oh, that's oh fantastic. <laughs> I love that, that piece. Was, yeah, no, genuinely one of my favorite articles. I... I'm pretty sure I ditched another idea <laughs> to be able to fit that in because I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was really important at the time. We hadn't really had a focus on fashion outside of the like college kid culture and which isn't like, you know, it's not a cultural identity. It's just, it's just a place. And so like, I, I just thought it was really important to bring up and the visuals were so beautiful because I, it was Lily Thomas, I believe. Yeah, Lily Thomas shot it. Yeah. Um, and that I remember that photo shoot very vividly because it was a really, really nice day. Like, it was mm -hmm. sort of around this time of year. So when it's nice out, everyone's like, oh, my God, it's so nice out. And I just remember the three models that we had all – they'd never met, but they really, really got along. And they all were just, like, giggling and laughing. And mm -hmm. it was, like – it was like infectious like everyone yeah. was laughing everyone was smiling and the photos turned out beautiful mm -hmm. so yeah I really loved that whole spread right and the models the um the women who modeled for that photo shoot were international students I believe I, I believe two were international students and one was you know uh, an American 
an American student, but she was from an immigrant family. So yeah, that was pretty. That was a pretty special article to write, and um, that was that idea in general was it meant a lot to me. So yeah. With that being said, what do you, Erin? What's your favorite um, issue that we have published so far? Would you say? Um, I mean, don't put me on hold. Our most recent issue is is my favorite issue. I must say. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite shoot, or why? Or I don't know if you want to play favorites like that. I feel like it's so hard to pin down, but like, is there one that means a lot to you in particular? Um, actually, yes. And I think I can say it and it's not like playing favorites necessarily, yeah. <laughs> but um, Reverie, which was the photo story that Sarah Mount had shot, um, was just incredible. That was another like lifelong season dream of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, come to fruition since I joined I was like guys we need to shoot at the Mac we need to shoot at the Mac and it it was always like no we can't get permission we we can't do it for this many reasons and this was Sarah's Sarah was the director of photography um up until this semester and that was her last shoot and she was like she was like you guys screw it we're shooting at the Mac (laughs) and so we did it and it was, so it was just me, Sarah, Jack, um, Jack Boardman, who is going to be the next editor in chief of season, and our two models. And the models had both not really ever modeled and both never met each other. And they just had, first of all, they had incredible chemistry. If like, you would have told me that before, I would have thought that you were lying from the way that those photos come out. Oh, not. no, they're insane. They both were born to be models and I also thought I was watching a best friendship blossom like while we were shooting this shoot and I just it was supposed to rain that day initially and we were really nervous and then actually the weather turned out beautiful and I don't I it's really hard to describe um but sometimes this thing happens when like at a photo shoot where it just sort of feels like magic and mm-hmm. that one just felt like magic. Like mm-hmm. everything was just going right. Everything was beautiful. It was, I don't know. It's, it was probably one of my favorite photo shoots I've ever worked on. And just the results were incredible. Obviously, cause Sarah is so talented and the models were so talented and mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was so much fun. Yeah, if you listeners, if you haven't seen that edition yet, or if you haven't seen that photo shoot, I would really highly like recommend looking at that. We even talked about, I think, making one of the pictures of that photo shoot our little thumbnail. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we for this podcast, absolutely, and I, I'm pretty sure we are going through with that. But um, we'd have to ask our um, director of marketing, Connor, about that. <laughs> <laughs> our wonderful Connor. Um, yeah, so. And, and this question, I guess, is going to tie into um, our just final roundtable discussion, which is, um, is there something that you dislike about the current state of fashion or, like, the fashion magazine industry? I mean, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I, could, I could really go on forever. Um, I mean, just to briefly touch on fashion magazines, specifically obviously media both media and the fashion industries are industries that are at such a turning point um where things are changing and things are changing very rapidly and it's still not quite clear what the end result is going to be Mm -hmm. um but we do know that things will never be the way that they once were and part of why i actually think that season is so important and why college fashion magazines can be so valuable is because and not to sound pessimistic but um like a fashion magazine job isn't incredibly realistic at this point and it's becoming less and less realistic with time mm-hmm. um vogue doesn't pay a livable wage right i don't know if you guys know this but working at vogue unless you're like in a very high position you make like thirty thousand dollars a year in I new york no city idea. You, they just... I don't see how you would survive in New York City with a, a $30,000. It's because the, it's they have so much clout that they can basically bank on getting enough 
trust mm-hmm. fund kids to work there. Wow. Right. Also, they don't, fashion magazines do not pay their interns anything at yeah. all. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel like that's a little ridiculous because, I mean, newspapers, I mean, people are always saying newspapers are dying. No one reads them anymore. Yet, I mean, the last time I checked, the Washington Post and the Boston Globe still pay you $15 an hour if you're an intern there. Yeah. And um, it's kind of ridiculous how magazines, fashion magazines in particular, are these huge pro, uh, for-profit mm-hmm. organizations, yet, you know, they don't pay their interns who are, I guess, I mean, people in, people in the fashion magazine industry, and this is just my opinion personally, tend to think that interns don't really do the important stuff. They just, you know, clean the fashion closet and do whatever. But I mean, this goes back to what I was originally saying when talking about all the members of season. Um, everyone, everyone on a team when making something, especially when producing a publication matters without those fashion closet interns, um, that makeup product that somebody wanted to test out for that YouTube video would not be there and you would not be able to do that YouTube video. You know what I mean? No, yeah. And the stylists would be spending like hours and hours after the shoot there putting everything away, Mm -hmm. organizing everything the way that it was. Mm -hmm. It would, yeah. I mean, every single role matters. And if you're you're working for a for-profit agency and you are doing work, you should be getting paid. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And I think this too, this goes back to what we were saying about like the kind of culture around arts and fashion in general that we have. It's like for it to be taken seriously by people, it has to set this level of pretension that is so inaccessible to just your quote average person. And I think that's a huge part of why it's kind of a dying industry, as you say, mm-hmm. is that you know, in in order to be seen as a valuable, you know, career, it's they have to set such a high standard that I mean, you're excluding the general population. Um, oh, totally. And we can talk about how, as you know, these magazines fall from grace. So does LVMH. So do you know? LVMH owns like basically every, not every, but a lot of major designer labels. Mm -hmm. Um, Couture fashion, high fashion is like barely profitable. And it's becoming less so and less so. And it's because people literally can't afford to buy it. Right. They have such an incredibly small market um, Mm -hmm. that they are trying to appeal to. So yeah, like these, these things just can't last Mm -hmm. with, everything else that exists yeah. materially. And people aren't getting any richer. No. No. <laughs> um, no. Right. So, and I guess just um, this whole discussion around fashion being inaccessible is kind of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast. I wanted to invite um, the rest of the IU or whoever is listening to this, the rest of the population into the discussion. And I wanted, I just want everyone to listen to what we have to say about fashion. And I'm not trying to say that in a very pompous manner or very like pretentious, like listen to what we have to say on fashion. It's so important. It's more important than anything else in the world. No, obviously there are more, there are pressing issues. There are more pressing human rights human rights issues, there are more pressing um, racial and equality issues that take precedence, precedence over fashion. But there are also many aspects of it that, aspects of fashion that we can't live without. I mean, I, can't, I, I, I always think back to that, um, if you guys have ever seen The Devil Wears Prada, that, that yeah. uh, Meryl Streep monologue where, you know, where she talks about, um, well, I don't really want to talk about the, the go into the, the, the plot, but there <laughs> yeah. she has this blue sweater monologue where she basically details the levels of fashion of the fashion industry and how something goes from high couture, high in fashion to something that you'd find at TJ Maxx. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, fashion lives within everyone. Fashion is a part of everyone's life. 
even if you think you don't care about it at all, at all, there are issues surrounding it and there are topics that um, correlate with fashion that everyone should pay attention to and everyone should listen to. And, you know, sometimes fashion does have, um, does touch upon things like human rights. Like for example, the whole fast fashion um, mm -hmm. issue surrounding yeah. Um, you know, the industry right now, and we can do a whole nother podcast episode about that because, oh, yeah. you know, it's been, it's been, it's been a minute. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well it affects everybody. And I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it affects college students the most, I would think, because I mean, you know, like myself, like coming from a poor family to be able to see fashion that is actually accessible to me, like trendy fashion that's accessible to me, like that was a new concept to me. So, you know, like it, even if you don't think you were ever involved in fashion because you couldn't afford it, or you were never involved in fashion because it was just not something that, you know, was important in community. Yeah, it totally was. You just didn't really know it. And right. like, I don't, I know, of course that's not necessarily like a bad thing if it, if it's not on your, your day-to-day -day thoughts, it's not. But I, like Swarna said, like, we just want to invite that discussion and, and talk about you know, what fashion really is and not what we've been told it is. Yeah, and with that being said, I guess my final statement would be, and I just, if, if there's gonna be one thing, one takeaway, one thing that you are you you should remember from this whole podcast is that fashion lives within us. It's a part of us and it's just part of the, and I'm I know this, I know the word human experience is going to, you know, make you roll your eyes to the back of your head, but it's part of the human experience, you know? So that's why we're worth listening to. And that has been What's in Season. Um, again, I am Swarna. I'm Ren. And we would like to thank our lovely guest, Erin Houston, for joining us today. It was so good to talk to you about these things. No, thank you for having me. It was so much fun. I'm really excited to see what the rest of the pod is like. I'm actually really, really excited about it. Yes, and with that being said, we will talk to you guys soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.